listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Do you sometimes find yourself stressed out and feeling overwhelmed? Many Americans are becoming more and more stressed and suffer anxiety and burnout. Do you sometimes think you should just quit your job or end a relationship that has you frazzled? Is your life overcluttered, overwhelmed? What can we do about this? What must, why must we be so stressed out? Is this just who you are or is this something you can do to actually change this? Well, our guest today, Rita Emmett, is an author, keynote speaker, expert on stress reduction. She's actually authored a book, Manage Your Time to Reduce Your Stress, a handbook for the overworked, overscheduled, and overwhelmed. Rita, I love the title of your book. Do you know how many people can relate to being overworked, overscheduled, and overwhelmed? I do. I do. And, you know, we had so many people respond to that that the president of my publishing company considered flipping it and making that the main title instead of manage your time to reduce your stress. But it created such chaos. It would have to go into Amazon and bookstores as a a totally different book. But what he did is he called me and he said, I'm really stressed out. And I went, about what? And he said, about the title of your book. (laughs) But you're right. Everyone relates to the subtitle, A Handbook for the Overworked, Overscheduled, and Overwhelmed. Yes. Who who isn't overworked, overscheduled, or overwhelmed today? Really? Most people, right? I don't know what the percentage is, but most people I know, they've got so much going on. And you give some really practical no-nonsense advice. I know this sounds like common sense, right? If you're overworked, overscheduled, overwhelmed, common sense stuff, though. But you've found that people don't use common sense when it comes to their stress. Well, you know, I can remember when my sister-in-law was battling cancer, they, they said, they told us some tips on her chemo stuff, and they said, it's just common sense. And she and I looked at each other and went, You know, it's only common sense if you've been in the field before, when you're brand new to something. So there's a lot of people that don't have the common sense because they they haven't been under this kind of pressure in the past. You know, our lives just sometimes spin out of control, and people often feel their lives are out of control when they're stressed. And that's why today you and I are going to talk about how they can start to feel more in control. Okay. So... How can someone start to feel more in control of their life? That okay, and this is something that um, it, it's a it was a surprise to me, and that was as I was looking for a definition for stress, I found tons of them, but none of them seemed right. One guy said to me, "Stress is like love. Everybody knows what it is, but they can't define it." And I was like bull feathers. I'm not going with that. And then I came across the definition from the fellow who first originated, Dr. Hans Seiley, back in the 1930s, who first used the term stress that was used 
used for me- mechanisms, for mechanical machines, and applied it to people. And he said, it's our reaction to the demands made on us. And I started to think, that's true. I know many people who have tremendous demands made on them, tremendous deadlines, tremendous pressures, and they're serene, and they have a life, and they have friends, and they have joy, and they have fun. And other people with way less, you know, they get a red light on the way to work, and oh, their hair is stressed out, everything's stressed out. And I used to live in a town in Illinois, Franklin Park, where you couldn't leave the town without having to cross two railroad tracks, no matter which direction you went in, you crossed two railroad tracks. And uh, one time we were all stuck, oh gosh, for the, the arms, those arms that go ding, ding, ding and come down had gone up, one car had crossed and ding, 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 the arms came down again. So we were stuck there forever. And I decided to take like an informal survey. I'm thinking, okay, that train is the demands made on us. Let me observe some of the reactions. The guy in the car in front of me fell asleep. Teresa, we had to beep. The arms finally went up to wake him up. He was not stressed. The woman in the car to my right reached into her glove compartment, pulled out a gallon-sized Ziploc bag, and pulled out some postcards, a pen. She had a strategy for waiting for trains. She's catching up with her friends. But the guy behind her, his window was open. He was yelling and screaming and swearing at the top of his lungs. And I just thought to myself, what does he hope to accomplish? Does the engineer of the train, is he going to go, oh, excuse me, am I inconveniencing you? Allow me to back up. You know, what? what is he going to accomplish besides getting high blood pressure? And I thought, this is very interesting. And since then, I've really observed that different people can have the same exact stress on them. And some are laughing about it and having a good time, and others are getting sick. And here's the thing, Teresa, when we talk about most topics in life, they are one size fits all. I also talk about procrastination, clutter, time management, communication, stuff like that. All those principles apply to everyone. But stress is so different. You know, the thing that stresses me out might not bother you at all. And the thing that that relaxes you might put me into major anxiety attacks. So what stresses us out isn't one size fits all, and how to fix it isn't one size fits all. So is stress a state of mind, an individual state of mind? I believe it is. I believe that it has very little to do with the pressures put on us and entirely to do with our response to it. That's our response. Don't don't you know people who have tremendous pressures on them and they still seem to, how do they find time to have, I mean, they meet all these deadlines, they're so busy, and yet they still have fun and they have friends and they have joy. I can think of a couple people like that. Not many, though. Most of the people I know are, you know, in reactive mode. They react to circumstances outside of their their life, um, you know, reacting and stressed out and, and anxious, and um, they don't have a whole lot of joy or fun. Well, here's hoping that as a result of your time with me today that, that you can deliver to your listeners a way to bring fun back into their life and joy, to bring life. Sometimes I hear people say, I don't have a life. I got so much stress, I don't have a life. Maybe you could just bring them back to having a life. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, that would be awesome. So what would you say are the leading causes of stress and anxiety in our culture today? 
Okay, some of the lead, uh, you know, I don't know. We do have a lot of unique things. First of all, working 24 hours, seven days a week is kind of new, and we are at a tremendously fast pace. But I just heard somebody say the other day he was bragging that he hadn't had a day off in three weeks. And he says, you know, Rita, I have an old-fashioned work ethic. And I thought to myself, that's not an old-fashioned work ethic. My grandparents both worked very, very, very hard. But at the end of the day, after dinner, they would sit out on their front porch. The neighbors would come over. Everybody would talk. They would laugh. They had beers together. On weekends, they every single Saturday night, they got together with friends to play cards. This guy didn't get together with friends. He didn't. He didn't have a time of day that he was off. And so we... Again, see, it's back to your really good question. I believe stress is a state of mind. We need to recognize that we have control. We don't have to take phone calls during dinner. We don't have to miss our kid's birthday party. Um, we we have control over that. And and um, when when we talk about this being a very fast-paced time, it is. But when you think about the stress of people in the past, there was no insurance. You were a farmer, and a, a hailstorm just wiped out all the work you've been doing. You've been working from sunrise to sunset since spring, and in one day in the fall, you're, all your work got wiped out, and there's no backup, no insurance. And and there were just a lot of other stresses. I, I my grandmother had several children die at young ages, and and when I got tears in my eyes as she talked about it, she said, "Oh, it happened to almost everyone on her block." It was like common. That's real stress too. So, so we're kidding ourselves if we think the stress we have is new and unique. There's always been stress. There's always been demands made on us. There has been, and I think yes. what's really, really different today is people are more isolated. They're more isolated yes. emotionally. They Absolutely. are connected to their phones and social media, and there's no time to rest the mind, to rest the brain, to regroup. Uh, we don't get re-energized by our relationships or our connections because um, it's really a lot of it is virtual. It is. It is. The, the, you know, I think about the community that that people had in the past that people could celebrate with you in times of joy and grieve with you in times of sadness. And now the community is virtual and it's not as satisfying. You don't get that hug. When oh, you're in grief. Right. Of course not. And someone may brag about having, you know, a ton of friends on social media, but when it comes down to it, how many friends do they actually have that they can connect with physically and emotionally? Yes. Um, so that number becomes much, much smaller. So one of the, I think what's different about our society today is that we are very, very disconnected and isolated and we're always plugged in. Most of us are always yes. plugged into yes. our phones. Um, we're living very complicated lives. I think other, you know, in past generations, life was simpler, right? Well, maybe, maybe, but I, I having children die and losing an entire crop and not having insurance and not having welfare didn't really make it that simple. That's true. That's true. Good point. Um, maybe simple in terms of complexity. Um, well, you know, Teresa, there were boundaries. There was an end of the work day. 
Mm. We don't tend to have an end of the work day. We're at the computer, uh, and and they were so clear on their values. Today is my family day, and we get together with family, and oh, we're very busy, but we're still all the whole family gets together. Um, there was a clear sense of values. And I do believe that if we value something and we're not spending time on it, and we're spending time on something we don't value, I do believe that's a cause of stress. Absolutely. So if you value family and you're spending no time with family, but all your time on work, which isn't that valuable to you, you'll be stressed out. And so where's the control? Well, a lot of people think you don't know my job. You don't know my job. But almost every job, we are allowed to say, I will not use that phone during a meal. I will not interrupt this visit with a friend. When I'm with friends or with family, I turn off the phone. Teresa, have you seen a new thing? Have you seen um, a group of women in a restaurant where their phones are stacked up? Have you seen that? I have not, actually. I'm in the Chicago area, and it might be a new thing. But I asked right away. And uh, the first one, the women get together for lunch. They're business women. Um, They stack their phones up on the table, and whoever answers the phone pays for the lunch. I love it. So they let their phones ring and ring and ring, and they said the first the first time they did it, they all had anxiety attacks as their phones rang and rang and rang. But not one of them has ever had a call that the person didn't leave a message, and and they called them back. Love it. And they got to enjoy each other without sitting there and whispering quietly because Joan's on the phone, right. that type of thing. And so some people are starting to say, no, I'm not willing. I, I'm going to have boundaries. Um, this thing about 18-hour workdays, you know, if if we don't declare a boundary that now I'm off and now I'm going to do something to recharge my battery. Oh, Teresa, it could be reading trashy magazines. It could be a walk in the fresh air. It could be simply having time with your family or a friend. But if if, if we don't say that, then we aren't recharging our battery if we work, 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 work. And then we go back to work tomorrow and we're only 70% recharged. So we aren't working at top 100% capacity we're not getting a great job done. And then at the end of the day, we didn't get everything done because we were less productive. Do you see the circle we get into? Absolutely. So, 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 and research tells us that people who take a break during the day, who get away from their desk, who have lunch away from their desk, who end the day and end the day at a certain time and don't stay at work 18 hours a day, that they are more productive and they get more done in the eight, nine, and ten hours that they do work than people who just work, 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 work. So we have control over our boundaries. You know, some people say, you don't know my boss. But we can teach, see, I believe we teach people how to treat us. And the reason the boss says, hey, can you stay late now, is because we've often answered with, sure, no problem. And the turkey believed us. He believed us that it was no problem to stay late. So now we think he's an ogre, he's a monster for asking me to stay late, but we taught him. I have a, I have a friend who hates helping people move on Saturdays, giving up his Saturday to help friends move. And I asked the guy, okay, his name is Tom, and I asked the friend who's moving, I said, why did you ask Tom to help you? And he said, oh, because Tom says he, it, it's no problem. And here's Tom complaining that everybody asks 
helps him. And he's teaching people with words that say it's no problem. So sometimes we may have to talk to a boss and say, I feel I will be more productive if I'm able to leave by such and such a time. Not an unreasonable thing, not, you know, not three hours before quitting time. But, you know, that um, those days that um, I stay late, I find that I'm not recharging my battery and I'm not, uh, I'm not as productive then the next day. So, and bosses, sometimes they'll blow us off. I did this with a boss one time. He absolutely blew me off and he stopped asking me later to stay late. We had a delayed reaction with him. He thought about it. He valued my work. He knew I was a hard worker, and he stopped asking. But when I went into the meeting, I came out visibly stressed and shaken because I felt like, oh, he just didn't get it. And does any of this make sense? Oh, absolutely it does. And you talk about perfectionism, and, and those who seek perfectionism also adds um, a lot of internal stress to their yes. life. I agree. I think it's one of the key causes of stress. When we expect perfection from ourselves, from other people, from the world, um, we are creating stress for us and for everyone else. Now, I'm not saying that means, oh, instead of perfection, shoot for mediocrity. I believe that the people who listen to your shows are kind of the cream of the crop, and they would not expect except mediocrity but i'm saying we can we can have a standard of excellence excellence is achievable perfection is hardly ever achievable let me tell you a story we just went for three weeks to ireland last month with my son his wife and four teenagers four teenagers for three weeks and we talked a lot about perfection ahead of time we said this is an adventure we're going on this is not going to be a perfect vacation you've seen adventure movies good happens bad happens ups downs happy sad scary you know assuring and um so you know do you understand that we had this talk a couple of times and then one of the teenage girls the 15 year old got trapped in a bathroom it was not a stall it was one door for handicapped people and it was steel and it went from top to bottom and uh she couldn't get out and i was with there was one of the one of her brother was with us the others were all in the car waiting, and there was me and Connor, and then she was trapped in the bathroom. And he said, when she comes out, she's going to be sobbing. She's going to be a basket case. We've got to help her. And he and I started to panic. And then finally, Connor said, he's going to go get help. And the man who came to help us said, this happens all the time. You know, come on, fix it. But anyway, so he gets her out, and we are braced for her to be a puddle of tears. And she comes out and says, let adventure continue. I'm an adventurer. (laughs) And it totally changed their expectation. When everybody stopped expecting it to be perfect, then then when crazy, stupid things happened, they'd say, well, this is going to be a story to tell people. And it, it changed our mentality. And when we expect, I think it's horrible that bride magazines tell the bride um, that it's going to be your perfect day and everything has to be perfect. Oprah Winfrey, do, do you know her? Oprah Winfrey, I've heard, she used to be I've on heard TV. Of her. 
<laughs> just to be on TV. She had a party planner named Colin Cowie on, and they showed all these magnificent um, uh, weddings. He had done huge stuff, letting go of doves, doves and stuff like that. And she said, what do you do when a bride says, I want you to have a perfect wedding for me? And he said, I tell them I'm sorry, but I don't do perfect. He said, I will give you a part of my heart. I will give you a part of my soul. I will give you an inch of my hairline, but I don't do perfect. We will have a wonderful wedding, but it won't be perfect. And I thought, that's what brides need to hear. Who knows anyone who ever had a perfect wedding? There's always something going wrong and going crazy. But, you know, you brought this up. It's our expectation. All we have to change is stop expecting ourselves to be perfect. Stop expecting others to be perfect and stop expecting life to be perfect. Do you know that Native Americans, not all of them, but some of them, when they do beadwork, like picture a beaded belt, they deliberately put one flawed bead in there, one mistaken bead, like a black bead in the middle of a sea of yellow, to remind them that only God is perfect. We are not perfect people. Isn't that interesting? That is. And quilters do the same thing. The, many quilters, the Amish, uh, put a flaw in their quilting, their handmade quilts, to remind them we're not perfect. It's okay. And it's okay when we're not perfect. Can you see how that makes a change in stress? Oh, absolutely. The, really? You know, setting the expectation not only for yourself, but in your example, your vacation, your family, you set the expectation, hey, this is an adventure. Stuff happens. Life happens, right? And yes. uh, life is not perfect. And to expect perfection, uh, I think, invites a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. But I think we get ourselves set up for it, don't we? I, I, I thought you feel bad for the, when you see those bride magazines, but the headlines on the front page, your perfect wedding, I feel bad for them. Well, you know, it's the, the bridal magazines, it's the the information that the media puts out, and, and not to always blame the media, but think about it. It's about having the perfect life or the perfect dinner, or having the perfect body mm-hmm. and the perfect makeup, and I, there's so many messages that we are bombarded with, and I think women take this more than men, internalize this a lot more than men. I think men are uh, a little bit less about perfection, um, most, not all, right, than women. I think women, there's so much pressure on us to have the perfect you know, face that doesn't wrinkle and the perfect body and uh, the perfect house and uh, be the perfect hostess and just on and, and, and the perfect employee and the perfect mom and the perfect wife, on and on and on. One time we were watching a TV show and it was Christmas time and the family was decorating the tree and this beautiful music was playing and they were singing some beautiful Christmas carol and it was wonderful. And then after that, we were decorating our tree and our son said, and we were playing a a CD and our son said, if I have to hear a partridge and a pear tree one more time, I'm going to take that CD and use it as a Frisbee outside. And it was like, we are not like that family on television. Right, the perfect family. But, but that's the image we were given. And right. you look at their houses. They have these house full of kids, not a bit of clutter. Isn't that interesting? That not is realistic, you know? That is so not realistic. And actually, we are about to take a break. Our guest today is Rita Emmett. We are discussing the causes of stress and anxiety in our lives. And when we come back from break, we're actually going to talk about some tips on decluttering your life and dealing with procrastination. 
This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. We'll be right back. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you are just now joining us, we're speaking with author and stress reduction expert Rita Emmett about overcoming anxiety and stress in our lives, decluttering, and procrastination. So, Rita, isn't procrastination and clutter and stuff in our lives add to stress and anxiety? You know, it's all like a circle, isn't it? When you're stressed out, you tend to procrastinate. When you procrastinate, stuff accumulates and you have clutter. When you look at the clutter, you feel more stressed out. It's like a circle. And if you could break the circle, everything changes. Everything changes. So let's talk talk about procrastination. Um, There are some things in in life that I am very action-oriented and I can easily make decisions, and there are areas of my life where it's not so simple, right? What would you advise someone like myself who's, who's got issues with procrastination in parts of their lives? Not every part, but just parts of it. Um, and is that normal? <laughs> it is normal, yes. Many people procrastinate in one area, but not in all areas. And uh, I think sometimes when we're having a hard time making a decision, it's because we have, we're overwhelmed, we have so much to do. We don't know where to start. So many decisions to make. We don't. We can't make them all. We we don't even know where to go. And I I really am an advocate of just pick one thing, select one thing, and focus on that. This thing about multitasking, it's fine if it's simply a task. But trying to focus on two different things that take focus, that, trying to multitask on two different things that take focus. That's multifocusing, and that's not easy. That, you know, like if you and I right now, if I was also trying to answer it, an important email, I would not do a good job talking with you, nor would I do a good job on the email. However, if I'm having a chat, just a casual chat with a friend, that, and, and I'm focused on that, I could be um, stapling some marketing stuff together. They both don't take focus. But But you're right, they all connect. Stress, procrastination, and clutter all connect. And Rita, that's such an important distinction, and I've never heard it before, multitasking versus multifocusing. I've heard of multitasking and focusing, right? You you can't be focused, but that's what we try to do, so many of us. We try to multifocus. Yes, yes. And when you put it that way, it's so obvious how... You can't do that. The brain just doesn't work that way. Right. So if you could just back off. You know what I do? I list everything. These are all the things I have to do. And then take one. Okay, I have to make this decision. Well, before I make this decision, I have to make a call. Okay, but I'm going to spend the next hour just tracking down everything I need to make this decision. Okay, I made the call. Oh, you know what? The decision's not hard anymore. Boom, it's done. And, and and that works so much more than I have to decide this, 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 and this all together now. No, that doesn't work. 
So, so I'm down. always an advocate. I, you know, I'll tell you, when I first wrote, my, my first book was The Procrastinator's Handbook. And a doctor in Nova Scotia read it. And every Monday, he would send me an email telling me his goal for the week and how he did on last week's goal. Now, here's the thing. I don't know him, didn't met him, never met him, never asked him to do this, and had no idea why he was doing it. But every Monday it would show up. And one Monday his goal was to clear the papers and junk, clear the clutter off the dining room table. Tuesday I get an email and it said revision of previous email, and I open it up and it said to clear the clutter off the northwest corner of the dining room table. And that it made me laugh, but he was absolutely right. If 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 you're if you walk into a room and you say I have to get rid of all the clutter in this room, you stand in the doorway, it's sorta of like the the clutter sucks the energy out of the mirror of our bones <laughs> and you stand in the doorway and you go, oh, I need a nap, I can't do this. But if you walk into this cluttered room and say, okay, I'm not, not going to attack at all. I'm going to attack that one stack in the corner or this one area on top of the file cabinet. That's all I'm going to do. And because getting rid of clutter, you just talked about decisions. Every time we go to get rid of clutter, we have to decide, am I going to keep this? If yes, where? If I'm not going to keep it, how will I get rid of it? Will I throw it away? Oh, it's too good to throw away. Will I donate it? So it takes. So I feel like when we're working on something we've been procrastinating on, set a timer for an hour and just give it an hour. And at the end of the hour, take a break. You know, walk outside, read something. Take take a break, though. Get up and move physically away from it. Just because your brain's going to explode with all those decisions. You don't want your brain to explode. So do something to put your brain back together, even if it's. If it's a different job or or playing a computer game or anything just to take a break, you can go back to the clutter busting then. But to try to make an hour's worth of clutter decisions, anything more than that, it's sort of, it all, you know what, if you, if you tend to go past an hour, your decisions tend to be, oh, I'll keep it and I'll decide later. Oh, I'll keep it and I'll decide later. And pretty much all the work you're doing is wasted. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So blocking out time in in a week or a day and saying, Uh okay, I'm going to dedicate the next hour to decluttering. Uh And then within that hour, as you're going through, uh, let's say you're cleaning out a closet. Um, I've heard there are different strategies for... Um, making decisions as to, let's say, a piece of clothing or paper or books or whatever. Um, either keep it, discard it, give it away, um, or decide later. Right? That's a good question. And well, not decide later. I don't. I don't. I don't advocate that because then you just did the clutter shuffle. You just shuffled it all around and nothing got disposed of. So I advocate two things before you start. One is. Select a person, family, or organization who will love and cherish your stuff as much as you do. So when you take a jacket out of the closet that you haven't worn in two years, instead of putting it back, you say, you know what? Somebody at the homeless shelter would love this. And you've got a stack of books. You've got some books you're always going to keep. You've got some books you might read again, but there's that other stack. You're never. You're really never going to go back to it. You're never going to read it. Why not? Why not pass it on to the library? Most libraries have a group called Friends of the Library, and if the library doesn't need the book, they sell the book. They get money and they buy the library what it needs. How cool is that? 
we have an organization in town called um, Sarah's Closet. They look for professional women's clothes for women on the welfare to work program. And so you say, oh, I really don't wear this anymore. Wouldn't some woman who's, who's coming off welfare and going for her first job interview, wouldn't she feel good in this? And, uh, and, and when you know somebody's going to love your stuff as much as you do, you don't mind giving it away. So Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So when it comes to clutter, what other areas of, of life do we have, do you find that people have clutter in? Certainly closets and offices and paper and stuff, Cars. right? Yeah, yeah Cars, purses. Purses. Everywhere. I mean, if you have clutter, I, 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 here's the thing, Teresa. I used to be right on the brink of being a hoarder. I had a lot of clutter, and the reason I say I'm on the brink of being a hoarder, in my dining room were stacks, and you had to walk through the paths, stacks on the floor, and there were there were paths. And we never used the dining room for anything but clutter. We never used it for eating. And so I had a lot of clutter. And I thought it was a personality trait and a character flaw that I was born with. And then one day I realized, you know what, it's simply a habit. And all habits can be broken, and I broke the habit, and now I don't have clutter at all. So did you make a decision not to add things to your life? So you, you made the decision to break the habit, but but it's so easy to bring things into your home or bring things into your car. How did you stop that? You are so on target. Listen to this. You're, this is going to be the best thing your listeners have heard in weeks. Clutter does not come from being lazy messy, or disorganized. Isn't that good news? That's great news. So now where does it come from? It comes from habits, only four. All your clutter comes from only four habits. So here they are. The first habit, do you save stuff you don't need or use? The second one is, do you insist on allowing stuff into your life that you don't need or use, either by shopping or, or people giving it to you or or whatever. The third one is, do you never find a place to for something to belong? If something doesn't have a place to belong, it's clutter. It's that simple. You don't have a place for it, it's clutter. And the last one is, do you set stuff down that uh, you're going to put it away later? Now, here's the joy of it. The first letter of each habit spells sins. S-I-N-S. S is save stuff you don't need or use. I is insist on bringing stuff into your life you don't need or use. N, never assigning a place for it to live. And S, um, setting it down to put away later. So <laughs> what we're talking about, Teresa, is we're going to repent from the deadly sins of clutter. And if you could, And what you just introduced is the second one about bringing it in that some people only focus on getting rid of their stuff and then they run out and shop and bring back a whole bunch more stuff. And and uh, what we started off talking about stress. And in my stress management seminars, I ask people two questions. What is your biggest source of stress and what is your best way of managing your stress? That's what you and I talked about at the beginning. What stresses you out might not stress me out, and how you relax might not relax me. So um, many people say their biggest source of stress is clutter. And I say, "Uh uh-huh, that's common. And how do you manage your stress? I go shopping. Or they say their biggest source of stress is their debt or clutter and debt. 
And how do you manage it? I go shopping, and it's like, do you not see a connection? <laughs> Don't you see a connection? And one time a woman raised her hand and said, clutter and debt are your biggest source of stress, and you handle your stress by shopping. And the woman's name was Anna, like like in the Frozen movie, Anna, not Anna. And she, so Anna said, that means you spend money that you probably can't afford to buy stuff you don't need that will add to your clutter, your stress, and your uh, anxiety. That's not a very good deal, is it? Oh, the woman had said she loved shopping for good deals. Right. I think so many people can relate to that. So many people can relate to that. I have gone on a kick in the last year and a half on um, shifting my mindset to think more like a minimalist. And if you oh, know me, fabulous. if you know me, I am not a minimalist, and I don't look like one. And um, but I'm I'm working on shifting that thinking, and it's taken me a long time. Uh, and I've been purging things, and I've been digitizing things because today, you, you know, I've, I've got a ton of books. I just love love books. I'm a voracious reader, and I always had a hard time getting rid of books. And what I decided my strategy was going to be was to take a picture of the book and also add it to my Amazon wish list if it was not one of those books that I was going to probably ever read again, but I still wanted to be aware of it if I ever needed it, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's so many things today that we can use to to help um, with, like, books and, and paper. We can scan paper. We can do all sorts of things. But I found the key was I couldn't keep adding to my stuff. If I was purging, I needed yes. to not replace anything yes. at all. Teresa, you are nailing it so well, though, because the biggest step to getting rid of clutter is what you said. It's changing the mindset. And when I work with people, before I even start giving tips on getting rid of clutter, I talk about the mindset. And and, and you're exactly right. We've got to change our mind. I didn't plan on doing a plug, but I have to tell you that I'm the kind of person we talked about being overwhelmed, that I get overwhelmed Easily. Like, if you tell me one joke, it's my favorite joke for the next few months, and I tell it over and over. You tell me five, and I don't remember any of them. Mm -hmm. And, like, the first computer class I ever took, they said if you hit Control-Home, it goes to the beginning of the document, Control-End, it goes to the end. Six-hour seminar. Six hours later, that's all I knew was that first thing. It's like I can't learn too much. And for years, I've been looking for something where to, that, that teaches in little dribbles. And if people read my book, they can read at their own pace. But there's a lot of people who learn but not by books or who want an, an, um, something that either complements the book or enhances it or carries it on. And all I have been able to provide is a one-hour talk, a half-day program, or a full-day program. I just came across a thing called Avenue. A-V-A-N-O-O, and it's it's a one-month program that different authors have put together. I'm brand new to it, but a lot of them have them there already. And you get a three-minute thing every day, a three-minute audio-video thing every day, just one tip on getting rid of clutter, just one tip on changing your mindset, exactly what you were talking about, you know, I what to do with the old books and that. I, I'm never going to read them all. And I'm very excited about it, and I and I don't mean to be promoting it, but I that's want your okay. listeners to know that that's what the kind of learning I like. I promote stuff all the time. And so what what's it called again? How do you spell it? 
A-V-A-N-O-O. A-V-A-N-O-O. And I have a procrastination one up already. You know, do you... Do you want me to get a discount for your listeners? They'll be some of the very first ones going there. That would there. be fantastic. That would be but awesome. But I, I don't have it now. I could call you back with it, and you could offer it another time. Would that be good? Or Ab- do you have, how about on your website? On our website, livingwealthyradio.com, we're going to have the podcast of today's show. Okay. And we'll also include it on there. And my producer, uh, Joshua, can get with you for the specific information. I'll get a discount code, because be your great. listeners will be some of the very first ones up. I only have a procrastination one up, but I'm completing, I'm only on day 21, um, uh, the the work for a clutter one, too. And um, I just love the idea. And I took a few at the beginning just to see. And it's wonderful. You just get one little thing every day. And sometimes that's all you hear, but sometimes all day long it's with you. And it's like, oh. I took one on uh, weight, uh, weight loss. And one of the things very early on was... um, what if today you just ate food that wasn't processed? And it was like, oh, I could try that just for today. It really was a major change for me. It was like, oh, okay, I have a choice between this or grapes. Well, instead of having that, I'm going to have the grapes. It's just I really learn well by just hearing one little thing at a time. Right. I, I think I think too much information or too much advice is also a form of clutter, Right. And so good this point. is you're right. This is like minimizing um good advice. And and the other the other strategy that I'm I'm working on is is what I call the blank slate strategy. And I I borrowed that term from God knows who. I I do so much reading and and um I have so many great coaches and mentors in my life that I'm sure I borrowed it from someone and I I'm I'm not going to be able to give them proper credit. But um you know, I'm looking at um I <laughs> I I put an eight and a half by eleven. I typed it up and printed it out, and I've got it in multiple pla- places in my home. And it says um, blank slate. And so, in areas that I'm trying to minimize or declutter or improve, I've got blank slate to remind me. Okay, if if there was nothing here, and I had a blank slate or a blank canvas. What would I create here? Oh, I see. Okay. Without keeping or bringing in anything that I already have. Okay. And so that's been helping me get rid of stuff because if I've got, you know, an an item or or a decoration that I'm really not thrilled with, I wouldn't buy it today, why am I keeping it? Right. I agree. A book that I really have no interest in today, why would I keep it? I know why I, I, I kept it before, because I didn't want to let go of it, because I thought maybe I'd have an application for it in the future, or maybe I'd read it in the future. Well, that's for taking a picture of the cover and um, putting it on my Amazon wish list is, uh, is helping me, because now I can get rid of it, because I know it's not going to be gone forever. If I need it, I know where to find it. I just don't yep. have the physical book holding me down, and that's what I think clutter does at least for me, mentally, emotionally, physically, it it keeps me down. It holds me back. It it affects my energy psychically. Does that make sense? You're absolutely right. 
Right. Holding you, holding you down, holding you back. You know, I, I don't think we can guarantee this, but many, many, many people say as they start to get rid of their clutter, they feel lighter. They feel more energized. I joked before that it sucks the energy out of our bones, but truly it does. It does. It does. Yeah. And, and, they, and there's a lightness. And one of the things that you're talking about a blank slate is that sometimes getting rid of the clutter means this thing can be used for what it was intended. Like that doctor, when he cleared off his dining room table, they could actually dine on it. And they couldn't when the clutter what was there. What a concept. Or, uh, what, <laughs> a dining what a concept. table for dining, right? <laughs> or or somebody's kitchen counter is just piled high with stuff, and uh, they can't use it to do anything. It's hard. Oh, I don't like cooking, they say. Well, of course you don't like cooking. It's hard to cook in a kitchen like this, you know. I loved when you said about a minimalist. When I first started talking about clutter, I talked about how I had been and how I am now. And afterwards, a man came up and he said, you sound like you're a minimalist. And I had never heard the word before. And I said, oh, that's a great word. You know what? I'm married to a maximalist. And he said, that's not a word. It's the opposite <laughs> of minimalist. the king of clutter. Right. I, thought it was a, I thought if he made up minimalist, let's make up maximalist. He said, no. And I said, because I, I got a husband who, you know, if he needs one, he buys eight. I get it. That's not my husband, but um, he'd say that's more like me. Um, but that was the old me, not the me that I'm mm-hmm. becoming. And I, I think there's, a, there's, you know, it's about energy and it's about, you know, I don't want stuff in my life. I'd rather have experiences or I'd rather just have serenity and peace. And I, I love feeling energized and I love feeling light and crap holds you down. Stuff just wow. holds you back yeah. and holds you down. And you talk about and you advocate like a daily battery charge. Does that have anything to do with what we're talking about now? I do. See how it all comes together? You're going back to what we talked about in stress, and it does all come together. Um, I believe that if we had a daily battery charge, that it alleviates stress immensely. However, what char- again, it, it's hard for people to think of what charges their battery. But I can remember um, a really dear pal had moved to Colorado, and she was going to be in town. And she, it was around Christmas time, and I had a whole bunch to do. And I was chasing all day long, because all day I couldn't wait to see her. And it was like I could do anything knowing that tonight I'm going to be with a friend, we're going to be laughing. And it's, it, it, it gives you such energy to know that whatever your battery charge is, well, I'm going to you know, maybe I'm working hard now, but I'm going to put my feet up tonight and just watch TV guilt-free because I got all this done, or whatever it is. Um, for many people, though, it's you said something before that it's getting outside. You know, one woman said the only time she's outside is from her house to the car and from the car to work. And yet as a kid, she was an outside kid. A lot of times as we talk about our battery charge, we, it's good to look at what did you love to do as a kid. I got an email from a woman who said, I was in your talk last, your seminar last week, and you asked us what we loved to do as a kid. And I'd like to tell you what I've done since then. It was uh, it was a, a month after the talk. And she, can I call you? And I wrote, sure, you can call me. So she calls, and I'm thinking... She was. She said she was the one who loved to 
color and coloring books. And I was picturing she got into a class to, to watercolors or acrylics or oil painting, and she's got in touch with her inner artist. And I got on the phone with her, and she said, remember me? I'm the one who loved to do coloring books. And I said, I do. So what's happened since then? <laughs> she said, I've colored five coloring books. <laughs> How awesome. That was her joy as a kid. That's her joy now. Well, you know what, Rita? I think I'm going to add that question to um, to those people in my life and people that I meet. What charges your battery? I think that's such a great, great question. We are actually... Um, out of time. But Rita, thank you so much for being on our guest today. And thank you so much for uh, giving us some great practical information and tips on how to live with less stress, less anxiety, stop procrastinating and getting rid of clutter and stuff. Uh, well, we it's my pleasure, Teresa. This was great fun for me. Thank you. Your website is RitaEmmett.com. We will oh, post yes, yes. that information. And I offer a free monthly tip sheet that people can sign up on the website. It comes by email, and it's, it supports you in uh, breaking the procrastination habit and the clutter. And it, it, it only deals with clutter, procrastination, and stress. Awesome. And we will link your website on our uh, LivingWealthyRadio.com, the section of the podcast uh, for today. Again, thank you so much for joining Living Wealthy Radio and uh, God bless. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at Talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. If you're a business owner who wants to sell your successful company, then you need to pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. Selling a business in today's crazy-making economy is not for the faint of heart. A successful sale requires courage, resolve, and a big pair of um, free selling tools. Get your free risk analysis tool and special report today from the only company that can help you sell your business in 49 days or less and pay zero taxes. Go to www.deltabusinessservices.com forward slash exit coach to download yours today. That's www.deltabusinessservices.com or call us at 210-369-4161. Tell them the guy with the sexy voice sent you.